1: Uh, we're thrilled to have some ama- an amazing guest tonight, some amazing co-hosts, and hopefully many, many listeners out there because we have a phenomenal story to share with you tonight. Uh, I'm Kathleen Smith. I'm the founder of Morph Mom. And uh, before I get underway, let me just begin to uh, introduce my guest, Laura Dash, who has an amazing story to share with you all tonight. Who is going to be this? It is the star of Second Chance Chihuahuas, which will air. This coming Saturday night on the National Geographic channel and my amazing co-hosts, Lisa Danini and Elizabeth Lentz. Um, and we're very, very excited about tonight. And Laura, thank you for coming tonight. And before I begin... Thank you. Oh, I'm, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Oh, I'm thrilled to have you here. Um, I want to just give a quick explanation or introduction to Morph Mom, to those of you out there who are new to this show. And I apologize to those who have heard this before, so I'll try and make it quick. But um, basically, I founded Morph Mom about four years ago, and the genesis was that I had been a prosecutor. I, tr- I had three kids. I stopped for a while. I tried to go back. I couldn't go back. Uh, they didn't want me back, and I thought, now what? What am I going to do? No confidence, no contacts, no idea sort of who I was anymore, trying to figure this whole thing out, and um, had a bad experience attempting to write a book that did not go very well and was not received very well. And I thought, you know what, there's so many women out there who have done something or have done it, whatever it is. And rather than reinventing the wheel, I decided I would go out with my video camera. And having been a lawyer, I could interview people at least. And I love to talk, which... It's good and bad sometimes, (laughs) but sometimes it's okay. So I traveled the country, and I interviewed about 600 women to date who shared their stories. And they were kind, and they're amazing, and they were just have become mentors for those out there looking to do something similar to what it is they do now. And so the first year was the website. And for those of you interested, it's morphmom.com, M-O-R-P-H, M-O-M.com and uh, you can go and watch these videos of these women and you can also connect if you join you can connect with these women as well and and, um, very privately and discreetly contact one another via email all through the website. So no personal details are given but it's a very informative way and it's a great way to connect with others. So the second year I started writing articles for Huffington Post about these amazing women including Laura Dash who you're going to hear about tonight and their stories, because they're beyond inspirational. They're just incredibly kind women who in every single circumstance are willing to mentor and help, say what worked, say what didn't work, and just remove the loneliness of those of you out there looking to do something. So the following year, I thought, okay, so there's one more thing missing, some actual human interaction and connection. So, and I figured, look, I'm traveling the country anyway doing these interviews. I might as well have a cocktail while I'm there. So I started cocktail parties around the country. So every city I come to, we host a cocktail party and we have a speaker, possibly a Morph Mom or a charity that they're involved with or a subject that would interest Morph Moms out there. And we're bringing speaker panels as well. And since then, we've now added classes, which we're very excited about, Uh, sort of a two-part thing, those who already have something going and who need help and assistance, and those who have no idea where to begin. And um, it's just sort of a friendly crowd to listen and help you sort of figure out what it is and what interests you again. And if you're interested in those classes, again, I suggest or or I urge you to go to morphmom.com, M-O-R-P-H-M-O-M.com. And next week, I will have the pages up that will explain when we're coming to a city near you and what we're bringing and what classes there are. And it's just really fun and really great people. And now, most recently, it's the radio show called Morph Mom Moments. And it's amazing because I have an opportunity to to speak with women all over the country about the most amazing stories. And they're so graciously, again, here to share those stories and to connect with others. So without further ado, I introduce Laura Dash. Laura, can you hear me well? How are you?
0: Good. How are you? We're great. So, Laura... So you're on the East Coast in New York?
1: We are. Oh, and by the way, for those of you listening, Laura Dash is calling in from California, so I feel she's virtually sitting here with us as well. <laughs> and those of you, by the way, who would like to call in at any time and speak with Laura, it's 212-631-7553. And trust me, when you hear Laura's story, you're going to want to call in. Um, so, Laura, let me ask you... Just sort of tell us. Let's start off with what it is you're doing now.
0: Um, I'm doing a show called Second Chance Chihuahuas. It premieres on Saturday, April 16th, this Saturday at, uh, I think it's 8 o'clock Central, 9 p.m. L.A. time, so it might be 9 o'clock Eastern time as well, even though there's a three-hour difference, and basically um, I rescue chihuahuas from all different, um, uh, uh, you know, different things. I sometimes, you know, you know, rescue a chihuahua from the street. Sometimes I'll catch a chihuahua. Sometimes I'll rescue a dog from the shelter. And it's me and my husband, who is a vet, and uh, we together uh, have Adopt Me Rescue, and we rescue
1: um, chihuahuas. It's fascinating. And I was reading the history about how this started, and the scariest and I think the saddest, I am a dog owner of two, so I love dogs. The stat- saddest statistic was, and I, I don't I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but that Chihuahuas were the most euthanized breed? Yes, here in California uh, and some other states, um,
0: I went to, to dog training school in New York and I know it was rampant, you know, back then 10 years ago. And here it's just, it's mostly pit bulls and Chihuahuas and the Chihuahuas are the second breed uh, of dog that is that are euthanized in our shelters here,
1: and and I also read that the reason and, and or I guess I can ask you to explain to us like why was it that Chihuahuas were such that why had the breed grown so much and why had they been so abandoned?
0: I think part of it. I mean, it's been very you know about fifteen ten years ago that they did the Taco Bell commercials and then, you know, all these famous people, you know, spending, you know, $5,000 for a teeny tiny Chihuahua and then, you know, movies like, you know, Beverly Hills Chihuahua and Legally Blonde, it then, you know, Brought to the forefront again the Chihuahuas. I think a lot of the general public and the people want to be like these famous celebrities, or they want to, you know, brag and walk around and say, Look, I have the Tierra Taco Bell dog, you know, or, Oh, look, you know, I have a Chihuahua, you know. So um, I think that's what brought it into the forefront again. And then us living in California know, so close to Mexico that, you know, yes, I know that, you know, in some certain parts of Mexico they just run rampant and wild and, you know, they're chihuahuas. So then they just bring them, you know, to California and they kind of live the same way because of an ethnicity, you know, that they don't believe in spay and neutering the dogs. And we just, you know, and, and a lot of people want, and, you know, uh, People, you know, backyard breeders, you know, some breeders will say, oh, this is going to be a teacup chihuahua, and the next thing you know, you have a 10, 12-pound chihuahua, and they're like, oh, this is not what I expected. Oh, you know, and the personalities, because then you have that mixture or, you know, maybe mixed with a Jack Russell or something like that. So then you have this, you know, wild and crazy chihuahua, which is, you know, bred to be, you know, 10, 12-pound. And you're gonna, you know
1: so there's no regulations going, to have people not uh, abandon them. Like, I'm sorry with that. So there's no you. regulations that people to prohibit people from abandoning them, abandoning the dogs. It seems no.
0: There's no laws. Wow. You know, even even as we, you know, there's a law in California that says all pets need to be spayed and neutered. But who has the time? to knock on every single door and ask, you know, if your dog, you know, is spayed and neutered. And the only way to enforce it, which I found out, is the police department. And the police department, you know, that's a nothing, you know, reason to be knocking on people's doors to say, you know, are your pets, you know, spayed and neutered? And because I always thought, well, maybe, you know, a vet could enforce that that law. But they said no, because they're not law enforcement. Because Hmm. it's a law, it has to go under the police department.
1: That's crazy. Wow. It's so sad. So
0: so even so even a animal regulation officer can't enforce. Mm. So, you know, that the the only way is education, you know, to say, hey, stay in your dog, your dog will live longer, they won't get, you know, certain kinds of cancers and you know, it's better for the dog and your dog won't try to roam and you know, and then of course then you'll have, you know, less, you know, chihuahuas in the world. California and some states, I found out, you know, like North Carolina have no Chihuahuas. So hmm. it wouldn't it be nice to, you know, be able to afford to, you know, send a bunch of dogs, you know, to another rescue or to the Humane Society or, you know, their local shelters that don't euthanize dogs because there'd probably be a line around the block, you know, to adopt those dogs. Oh,
1: yeah. What's the temperament of a Chihuahua, generally speaking are they Are they good with kids? Are they
0: they're very sweet dogs. They're known to be, you know, shakers because they're nervous or because they're cold. But they're really great dogs. They're they're very, um, you know, protective of their owners, some of them. You know, some of them are very outgoing, and it all has to do with socialization. You know, the sooner you socialize your puppy, um, you know, the better chance that you have a dog that's not going to be euthanized because of behavioral problems. And those are the ones in the shelter, you know, or for space that are going to be euthanized. And you ever see those people that carry their little puppy and then you just go to pet the puppy and the people say, no, you know, they grab the dog away. And go, oh, no, you can't touch the dog because it doesn't have all its puppy shots. But that's not proper. You know, that's not the right way to socialize your dog. It has to do with. You know, you can't put the dog on the ground because it might catch something. But it's fine for anybody to hold your dog or, you know, catch your dog. And so then you're relaying the wrong message when a person says, oh, can I catch your dog? And they pull away. So then in the dog's mind, well, something must be wrong with that person because I'm being pulled away from that person. So then they become protective or they become aggressive with that person because that's the information that we're relaying back to the dog that's fascinating
1: all and all my co-hosts tonight we all have dogs so this is actually very informative (laughs) right now do do any of you have
0: chihuahuas or chihuahua mixes
1: no no (laughs) um but i I can admit i have the least well-behaved dogs at the table (laughs) they're very naughty (laughs) and that's okay but they're very they're they're good dogs and i love these dogs um, so I want to come back to this. First of all, I'm absolutely fascinated by this. But um, And for those of you just joining us tonight, welcome. And we're thrilled to have you. And we're speaking with the amazing and incredibly kind uh, Laura Dash, who is um, starring in the new National Geographic TV series that premieres this Saturday called Second Chance Chihuahuas. Um, and we are thrilled to have her here. And if anyone would like to call in, it's 212-631-7553. Um, Laura, I want to ask you, and again, we're going to come back to this, but tell us about your past and what you did before and sort of the journey that got you here.
0: Um, I do stunts for children. I'm a small person. I'm four foot five. and, you know, we have a lot of, you know, we're busy, we're working, and then we also have a lot of downtime. So during the downtime, I started volunteering volunteering at different rescues and helping, you know, uh, you know, at adoptions and, you know, seeing these people just like randomly coming in and turning over their Chihuahua. And so I'd ask and I'd say, well, what's the problem? And they go, Oh, this dog barks too much. Oh, I can't potty train the dog. And before I even became a dog trainer, I was like, well, I potty train my dog in two weeks. It's really easy. It's really simple. And, you know, they'll say, no, my husband is going to kill me because I can't potty train this dog. Well, there's crates, you know, there's videos online. And even, you know, 10 years ago there were videos online and people, you know, to help you. But instead, you know, they took the lazy way out and then they would dump these dogs. So then it just kind of dinged in my mind, let me become a dog trainer so that then I can help these people and answer their questions and help train them to help train their dogs and help save some more lives from going into the shelter or being, you know, euthanized. And then after that, then I was at one of these events, asked the Dog Trainer, and these people are like, my God, this person is, you know, dumping their chihuahua. You know, can you take the chihuahua? And then that was when I was like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. And then I started rescuing a chihuahua adopting it out, rescuing a dog, adopting it out. And then all of a sudden I just saw a bigger need. Instead of adopting one dog at a time, I decided I want to, you know, rescue more dogs. So I put a team together, I put friends together and I, you know, opened it up, you know, on the internet. We need, you know, fosters. We need, you know, people to help out our adoptions. And then it just kinda, you know, snowballed and within these ten years I've rescued over 2,000 chihuahuas.
1: Wow! And of those 2,000, how many have come? How many have been adopted from the farm?
0: Um, all of them. I mean, oh, wow. all 2,000. You know, chihuahuas. Uh, you know, in every you know week we have adoptions. Um, once a dog gets adopted, we rescue another. You know, chihuahua or another dog. Wow. Um, you know, we primarily focus on chihuahuas, but it's very hard to get them adopted here in Los Angeles because there's so many of them. But we do our best, um, and uh, if we don't have room for a Chihuahua, we don't take in the Chihuahua unless we have a foster, because they are already coming, you know, from a scary environment, you know, a scary shelter, so we don't want to put them in boarding, which could be another, you know, loud, scary place. So then what we do is we can't take them in unless we have, you know, a foster home, you know, open.
1: Does it cost to adopt is is there a fee? Yeah, uh-huh. and yeah how, because how all does the
0: dogs are are stayed and neutered, microchipped, and so um, some rescues here charge more, but we charge about two hundred dollars, you know, for our dogs because some of the dogs, like in our show, we have a dog named Marshy who was lingering in the shelter for two months because he had a broken heel, and what happened was that dog languished there for so long scar tissue and all kinds of problems, you know, evolved from, you know, that dog not being able to use that leg. So we didn't know, is the dog going to be able to save it? You know, are the doctors going to be able to save his leg, you know, or not? And, of course, you know, you have to watch the show to see what happens. (laughs) But, um, uh, you know, it's, it's, you know, those are the kinds of dogs that, you know, I rescue, and that dog alone costs $5,000 to fix his leg. Yes, some vets will work with us. But, again, you know, 20% discount, you know, isn't a whole, you know, lot of money when it's a $5,000 surgery. And what happened with him was the surgery didn't, you know, work the first time, so then he had to be in a cast, you know, a few more weeks longer because they weren't sure, you know, if they were able to save, you know, his leg or not. And those are the kinds of dogs, you know, dogs with, you know, eyes popping out, you know, dogs that have, you know, skin issues, dogs that have, you know, tumors and mammary tumors. And, you know, we spend, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars a year, you know, just on taking care of those, you know, dogs. So, of course, that $200 adoption fee isn't nearly going to pay for that, you know, surgery, but it helps. You know, it might help for paying for the food, you know, pee-pee pads, you know, treats, whatever, you know, the foster needs. To take care of you know that dog while it's under their their care until it gets until they find their forever home and the longest dog we've ever had in our rescue was literally three years and our rescue is only five years old
1: wow wow so how do you cover the call then how does that work is there fundraising or there donations to do yeah people- we
0: do we do a little bit of fundraising uh, twice a year we do a drag queen bingo which is a lot of fun um, every month we do a dine out night. So you could go to like, you know, a particular restaurant and then a percentage of that restaurant, you know, will give 20 or, you know, whatever 50%, you know, to our rescue. But again, it's very, very hard because like New York, LA is all spread out. So you can have people that live in the Los Angeles area, and then you can have people that live, you know, in the Valley area, and then you know the restaurant might be, you know, in the middle. Mm. And it's always during the week, and everyone's like, "Oh, but I just worked, and I can't get over there." So it's very, very hard. And on occasion, you know, people will donate, you know, a hundred here or fifty here. And sometimes we do like, you know, little chip ins or GoFundmes, you know, for some of the dogs, but again, our rescue is so small, you know, and our fan base on, you know, Facebook, you know, is only about, you know, 1,500 people, which, you know, lots of, you know, you want to get a conglomerate of, you know, people from all over the country, not, you know, just L.A. And, you know, you try to say, you know, $5, you know, don't have your Starbucks this week, you know, just just give us $5. And imagine, you know, if you had, you know, 1,800 followers, you know, how much, you know, $5 would bring in. And, you know, you try to reach, you know, to the story, you know, to the heart of the dog, you know, the heart of the story of the dog, you know, to bring in, you know, the people. And, you know, all, 100% of all money raised goes, you know, right into the dogs. You know, no money goes into, you know, you know, we buy food, we buy, you know, all these supplies. On occasion, you know, some rescue, or not rescue, you some organization or some person will donate food, um, you know, that's very, very helpful. You know, sometimes the pet Petco's or the different stores that we show our dogs in will donate, you know, boxes of pee pads. But, of course, you know, that's not going to cover, you know, 20 dogs that we might have, you know, in our rescue. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times we have to go into our own pocket, you know, our own funds from the adoption fees, you know, to then, you know, pay back, you know, to buy the food, you know, buy, you know, whatever supplies, you know, that that dog needs, especially a foster, they might need, you know, a crate, you know, they might need pee-pee pads. I used to have a volunteer that used to, you know, foster puppies. So every week I, would you know, go out and buy a box of, you know, pee pads, you know, a hundred, you know, a hundred in a box and they cost $50. So, when people, you know, complain to me and say, well, your adoption fee is too high, then I say, you know, I'm sorry you feel that way. You know, go to the shelter, you know, and save a life. Because, you know, we spend a lot of money. We get to know the dog's personalities. We help potty train the dogs. So basically you're getting a dog that you know, um, you know, is 100%. It's not foolproof, but you know their personality versus, okay, I'm going to go to the shelter and I'm going to rescue that dog, which is great because you're saving a life but do you know that dog's personality? Do you know if that dog likes men? Do you know if that, you know, dog likes, you know, kids? You know, that kind of stuff? And then they're 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 approved, are proof to know what's their personality. Do they like men? Do they like children? Do they like cats? You know, all that stuff.
1: So there've been 2000 that have come through the ranch. Have you named all of the dogs? How does that work?
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, we've had, you know, double and triple, you know, the names, but you know, we try. Um, you know, we always take. We always, we always take our dogs back. You know, if there's ever a problem. But I would say, in thank goodness, in all the dogs that we've adopted out, only three have ever been returned. Wow. And they kind of come become part of you know our family of adopt me rescue. And yes. uh, you know, with the internet and everything else, and text messages um you know sometimes i'll reach out to you know past you know adopter say hey how are things going you know or i'll get you know phone calls or you know emails or text messages look how great oh they just celebrated their third birthday and they threw them a you know birthday party and it just it warms my heart because these are the dogs that were throwaway dogs that you know nobody wanted and now they're loved and cherished forever
1: laura uh i have a quick question um have you yourself personally adopted one of these chihuahuas?
0: Um, well, I first started with three dogs. And then at some point, I think I went up to eight. <laughs> and, or, you know, it might have been, because I know there was a transition when one of my dogs died and, or, you know, passed away. And then I got two dogs instead of one dog. And so now, unfortunately, I'm down to five, because um, <laughs> two of them died last year. So... Oh. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard not to want to keep them all. But then it's like you become the hoarder. You become a crazy person. You know, you become a person that nobody wants to come to your house because it smells. And they're probably all so, looking at you. Pick know, me, pick me. I kind of want to have a little life there. So that's why it's like as these dogs pass on, I'm not, you know, replacing them.
1: It's got to be so hard. So when, you, when the dogs come in... And you, if they're ill or they're injured or they're, um, has there ever been a point where, and this is terrible, having two dogs, it even breaks my heart, even asking this. Has there been a point when you've adopted a dog and the, the poor little guy is sort of too ill or too injured, and the recommendation is, like, what do you do then? Like, I.
0: Well, we have a dog right now. Her name is Dixie, and when we rescued her the shelter said she was between 8 and 10, but she's more like 12. Wow! You yeah. know, because it's a guess by their teeth. No one really knows because especially, you know, they're a stray dog. And they said the dog had a heart murmur, but, you know, there's, it's a scale of 1 to 6. So 1 isn't so bad, 2 isn't so bad, and, you know, the 3 is in the middle, and, you know, but when you get to, like, the 4, 5, and 6, then a dog usually needs medication. So we spent thousands of dollars on this dog we're trying to figure out you know what's wrong with her because she had you know other issues you know we had to get her teeth cleaned and we had to make sure that she was healthy make a long story short you know now she needs medication and it's seventy dollars a month wow. Wow. and I'm I'm blessed and thankful that I found a foster that like you know has you know worked with her from the beginning you know to I mean we still have her But, again, she's up online, and we all know that maybe she'll get adopted and maybe she won't, but the foster, you know, says she has a home with me for as long as she needs it. So if she's around for another year and she doesn't get adopted, she still has a home. You know, she's not going to say, you know, oh, well, it's been a year now. This isn't working out. You know, here, come, you know, take this dog. She's not, you know, that kind of a foster. And, you know, like I said, who knows if she will ever, you know, be adopted because it takes a special person that's going to be able to afford, you know, $70 a month on top of, you know, feeding and everything else for her.
1: Right.
0: But we never euthanize any dogs unless, you know, we find, you know, that her, you know, her health is deteriorating, that it finally says, you know, that she's suffering and, you know, we have to, you know, make that decision. And sometimes, unfortunately, you know, some of our dogs, you know, have, haven't have made, you know, a certain surgery, you know, that is, you know, much needed. Um, but uh, we've been very, very fortunate, which um, we haven't had that many, um, you know, that we've had to make that decision.
1: Um, for those of you joining us tonight, welcome to Morph Mom Moments. And we're speaking with the amazing Laura Dash and it's just an absolutely fascinating story, and just that someone out there is helping all these dogs. You you have to listen, and you have to watch as her series premieres this Saturday on National Geographic Television. Uh, this, uh, the the it's, station it's on,
0: it's, a, it's on Nat Geo Wild, and it's because they have two stations.
1: Oh, Chihuahua, and it's it's Second Chance Chihuahuas, and and Lord, yes. what time does it premiere? It's Saturday. This coming Saturday.
0: Yes, it's at nine o'clock uh, West and. Uh, Eight o'clock central, so I'm assuming that it's probably nine o'clock uh, New York time. Right. I don't think it would be six o'clock. But um, it could be. I don't know. I guess check your local listings. Local
1: listings for yeah. I, I'm guessing yeah. like nine o'clock Eastern time, Eastern Standard time, and then six probably California time, West Coast time. Right. Um, so Laura is the and her husband have have founded this amazing the Doolittle's Ranch, and they. They save chihuahuas. And, but, Laura, I want to go back again a little bit for those of you joining us. So Laura was not always a – this is her new career now. But prior to that, she was a stunt double. And I'm fascinated by this as well. And I just want to ask you a little bit about that. What was that like? Like how, And how did you start doing it? And what was the scariest stunt you ever had to do? I'm very curious about that too. Um, I, I started doing
0: stand-in work in the 80s you know, kind of like learning the business. And this um, stent coordinator came up to me and he goes, boy, he goes, I've got this stent coming up and this little girl, she's only five years old and she's really small and, you know, you're really tiny. And have you ever done stents before? And I was like, yes, I have. and Of course, I've never done a stent before. (laughs) And and he explained what the stent was. So in my mind, it sounded, you know, easy and simple enough. And I said, sure, you know, I could do it. And then it just kind of snowballed from there. Um, and in the 80s and the 90s, there were a lot more. I mean, there's still a lot of kid movies and television shows, but that was my, you know, biggest, you know, time in the industry. And, um, it just kind of snowballed where eventually I didn't need to do the stand-in work anymore. And then I just concentrated on doing stunts. And I worked on movies like Hook and Jurassic Park and, uh, you know, 2012 and Interview with a Vampire and, You know, I've just been, you know, very, very lucky. My, you know, I may have been made fun of, you know, when I was younger because I was short, but my shortness, you know, made up for the industry.
1: Wow. That's right. And excuse my ignorance with this, but what is the difference? So a stand-in versus a stunt, so what was the difference between that?
0: So a a stand-in does the lighting for the kids. Like, what will happen is you'll watch a rehearsal So let's say a rehearsal is sitting, you know, at the uh, dinner table, you know, all talking. So that would be your job is to sit there in that chair while they light the lights, and then Mm -hmm. the kids go off to school. And then when you're when the when they're done lighting and setting up the camera, then you go back and sit down and read a book or do whatever. Then the actors would do the scene, and then you'd be done for the day. A stunt person is actually where, let's say um, on hook. I did a lot of the flying for the little girl that played, uh, Robin Williams' daughter.
1: Oh, that's so my dream. they
0: hooked me up, you know, in a <laughs> flying harness and then they'd fly me on a green screen or, you know, throughout the, this little, you know, scene in the, you know, in the movie. So then they would use her in little spots, but most of all the flying, you know, was me. Huh. So that's where then, uh, you know, a stunt would come in. You know, or if, let's say, um, you know, I had to jump off of a building or climb a tree or something, like Jurassic Park, I doubled for the little boy, Joseph Mazzello, in the movie, and I'm the one that gets zapped off the fence. Really? Oh, my Yes. So you see him only a few feet off the ground, but it looks like it's really high. And then that's it. Then it's a cut. And then when you actually see me getting zapped, and then it's a, it's kind of like a very quick cut where then you see him fall backwards. Mm. Then, of course, that's him because he's only falling like, you know, a foot or two two feet, you know, right into, um, you know, Sam Neil's arms. And they both, you know, fall to the ground. So you kind of have to watch it. And then it's like, you know, when it got super, super high to climb over the fence, they didn't allow him to do it. So that's me climbing over the fence. Wow. Um, you know, when he's in the car, you know, and it gets flipped over, I'm in the car. Um, so those that, thats the difference. When any, anything is precarious or dangerous for a child, then they put a stunt person in there. Wait, you, um, you were in a car
1: that flipped over? You were actually the car actually flipped over?
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, it was on hydraulics, and it was all you know safely set. But yeah, I mean. You do have, like, a, you know, a head ringer every once in a while,
1: but yeah. <laughs> what was your, I guess, your scariest stunt that you, going in that you thought, no way?
0: Um, I worked on a movie called Cop and a Half, and I doubled for a little boy in the movie, and um, in the show, we're being chased uh, on a boat, we're being chased by these bad guys, and you know, boats aren't like cars where it's like, okay, we're going to stop. They're still floating in the water. So in the scene, we have these two tugboats coming, like, uh, diagonal from each other. And our little boat fits right in between their two tugboats. So we had a camera on our little boat, for you know, with us to see our point of view of going through the boat. And then we also had a smaller camera with... The camera operator on our boat a few times, and the camera operator basically did it once on the boat with us because he goes, "Oh my god!" He <laughs> goes, "That was so close." He goes, "I thought I was going to die." So I'm just going to leave this camera here. We're just going to set it, and you're going to go through so that if you do get hit by the, the boat, I'm you know we're the ones that are dead, but not him. <laughs> and one of the tugboat guys, you know, said afterwards, I think we must have done it, like, at least eight times, six to eight times. He was like, "Lori, goes, I want to come up and shake your hand. He says, because that was so close. He says, one of those takes, he says, I literally had to close my eyes because I literally thought we were going to hit you. Oh, my <sighs> gosh.
1: Did you realize how close it was?
0: Uh, there was a couple of times that, uh, you know, I'm sitting in front of uh, the stunt double for Burt Reynolds, and there was a couple of times where literally, literally my, like, hand dug into his knee as we're, you know, passing through. And I was like, do you have to make it that close? He goes, yeah, because, you know, it, it has to look close. But, of course, if you know what you're doing and you're setting your cameras up properly, it doesn't have to look, you know, it doesn't have to be that close. Oh, God.
1: That is terrifying. Was it fun? I know people call me crazy. <laughs> I think you're amazing. I do not think you're crazy at all. I am fascinated, and I think you're one of the kindest people I've ever spoken with. Um, no, thanks. Was there? Was Was it just so fun? At the same time, like I think flying. I think that's one of my biggest like dreams to fly around a green screen. Was that just so much fun?
0: Yeah, it, it is a lot of fun, but it's also the harness that you, they they fly you on. Um, You know, I started back in the 80s, so they were really very, very uncomfortable. As the years have gone on, they've made the technology a little bit better, but they're still uncomfortable. You can only be in them, you know, for so long because these little things that poke you on the side, and then you've got, you know, your wires and, you know, all that stuff. Back in the day, in the 80s, I used to literally fly on piano wires. (laughs) Now they have these big, huge, large cables, which then they have the computers and they generate them you know out of you know the the shots but that's what I used to fly in and they used to have to like if there was like a a screen where it was blue sky they'd have to paint the wires blue so that then you couldn't see the wires
1: that's crazy did you ever hopefully not Hopefully the answer is no to this question did you ever get hurt in any of the stunts
0: um unfortunately I did yeah, I thought it was going to put me out of the business, but luckily knock on wood, it didn't. I worked on a movie called Basketball. Remember the guys that did that do South Park? Yeah. Well, they did a movie um this is like when South Park first started and I guess they were trying to make them like, you know, stars for themselves not just for their characters. And uh, so they did this movie called Basketball and I guess the stunt coordinator, I, you know, I really don't know whose fault it was, but in the shot, um, the story is this little kid, they they have these kids where they have a make-a-wish little, air, you know, part of the story, and so this little kid's wish is to hang out with the players from basketball, and it's a made-up, you know, uh, it's like basketball and baseball mm-hmm. together, so the little kid, so, <laughs> yeah, so they spend the day with the little the little kid spends the day with them, and they take him to a bar. They're all drinking, all having a good time, and then um, they, they they tell the kid, "Here, get up onto my shoulders, and we'll go out the door." So in the shot, because he's drinking, he forgets the kid on his shoulders, and the little kid is just supposed to tap, you know, or bump his head on the door frame and fall out of shot. So, really, you could have somebody, like, right underneath them because there's no, you can't see the ground, and just catch me. Right. But there were also two cameras set up, and so one saw the master shot of far away. But if you're a good stunt coordinator, you would say, well, what is your shot? What do you need? No, you don't need these two cameras. All you need is this camera, that you know, or however you're going to do the shot. And one of the things was, was there's different levels of pads, you know, and and firmness and, you know, soft. And the coordinator had a very, very thin pad, and it was very, very small. And the guy that I'm on his shoulders is one, So I'm falling about six feet onto the ground or onto this pad. And so I said to him, I go, um, "There, you don't have, like, you know, a softer pad because it's really, really hard. And he goes, no, he says, because this fits... Right in between the doorway. I said, "Are you sure you don't have to like you know push it up and you know move it or something like that to get it right through?" He says, "No, it fits right in." I never asked him to demonstrate it because sometimes, like uh, you know, you have to have the trust in the coordinator. Mm-hmm. And he was supposed to have somebody outside the door just in case. And I said, "You know, do you know where I'm going to fall? Do I know where I'm going to fall?" And he goes, "Well, you should fall approximately right here." right where the door is and that's not where I fell I fell three feet outside the door because I traveled with him as he was going out the door so what happened was he was down on his knees and he goes Laura no matter what he goes I'll always be there he goes I will be there with that pad and so as he's following me on his knees pushing the pad he realized oh I'm traveling outside the door so he went to push it it did not fit in between the door. <laughs> oh, no. He had to, like, you know, adjust it and then push it out. And by that time, I was down on the ground, and he said that he caught the pad on my head. But I hit so hard because I couldn't, like, turn back. I couldn't. I just had to, like, you know, look, bounce, you know, off. Right. And um, I ended up falling straight onto the concrete onto my back. Oh, God. And I would asked him, I said, can I have... And it was a thin uh, T-shirt that he had. So I couldn't even wear like more protective, uh, you know, back brace or anything like that because you could have seen that pad. And he's like, oh, you don't need that. He goes, I'm going to be there. I'm going to be there. And unfortunately, he wasn't there. And I broke my back. I broke my my L2. So that put me out for like eight months.
1: Did you go back after the eight months?
0: Mhm. <laughs> yep. I went that. I even jumped off. I, I jumped She's off up. a building at Universal Studios on a wire, um, and that building must have been at least uh, fifty stories.
2: What? But were,
0: were you scared? And, uh, <laughs> how did you do it, with, uh, It was just, it's, you know, and, and being on a cable, you know, of course I was on the cable on that, and because they didn't want to do the way they they cut it in that show they didn't want to do a high fall so, I mean they wanted to do a high fall but they didn't want to do an air bat. so because they wanted to see the whole building and the ground or something like that so of course that cable could have snapped you know who knows you know but I have all the confidence you know in the riggers. you know and the people setting up and I knew like on basketball I didn't know the coordinator mm-hmm. uh on this you know particular tv show um I knew Ghost Whisperer, I knew the coordinator, you know, I knew the people rigging, so I had a lot of confidence, you know, in them. When I don't know the people, then I'm like, eh, I don't think I'm going to work for you.
1: Right. So I want to go back even younger. So when you were young, I actually seeing seen two sides of your personality. Were you a daredevil as well? And did you have an affinity for animals when you were younger and for dogs? Like-
0: um, when I was younger, I had this aunt who had, who was a breeder back in the day. And she gave our whole family, you know, you know, ours and, you know, the rest of the relatives, chihuahuas. And ever since then, since I was five years old, I've always wanted a chihuahua. You know, and living in New York, I'm originally from Brooklyn. Uh, after we moved, when I was like, you know, five years old, we moved to a place that didn't allow dogs. So then when I moved and we moved to Las Vegas when I was 14, then I could, you know, finally have, you know, my chihuahua again. And I've just always loved chihuahuas. And, um, you know, as far as being a daredevil, I don't think I was. I'm kind of a tomboy ish. Um, I wasn't into gymnastics or anything like that. And, you know, I guess because of my size, I just, you know, lucked out.
1: What an amazing story. So let's go. So now I'm going to fast forward a little bit, going back and forth. And for those of you joining us tonight, we're on with the amazing Laura Dash who is uh, from the show that will be premiering this Saturday on Nat Geo Wild on um, Second Chance Chihuahua, and she's explaining her sort of her, hit, her life and how it's gone. She was a stunt double in many, many movies and films and television and now has moved on and opened Doolittle's Ranch with her husband where they save and they uh, help get chihuahuas adopted as well, and over the course of the years, have in fact helped over 2,000 chihuahuas, which is just an astounding number to begin with. So when did you, when was it you decided to stop doing the stunt, you know, what you were currently doing, your career as a stunt double, and then in turn open this ranch, or open the farm? Or-
0: um, you know, as you age, as you get older, you see, you know, either, you know, the industry changes, you know, lots of stuff that, you know, maybe I would have done you know, 10 years ago, I'm not doing now, not so much because of my age, because a lot of the shows and movies now are using kids that are older. So I'm too short, you know, to double them. So I'm getting a little bit less work. Um, And so then I was like, well, um, what else can I do that I love to do? I don't want to, you know, work behind a desk. Um, So then I decided, you know, I want to help people. I always like to help people. So I then became a dog trainer. So then I also figured, well, I could be my own boss and I can still work in the industry, you know, if it comes up. Because then people say, well, how come I'm not a dog trainer in the industry? You know, again, that's kind of like, you know, your own niche of having to know the people. And it's like, you know, that's not something I want to do. So I just became a dog, you know, private dog trainer. And then I saw this need um, you know, to, to rescue the dog. But I didn't really I, I had a clue because I'd volunteered but I didn't want to like, you know, let's save, you know, five dogs all at one time. So I'd save a dog, I'd save a dog, and then all of a sudden it's like, Well, hey, this is working, so now what do I do? How do I put a team of people, you know, together? And then all of a sudden it was like, you know, you know, let's uh, you know, get more volunteers. And then as far as Doolittle's Ranch came about, because I'm a dog trainer, people would say, oh, my God, my dog loves you. Can you watch my dog? Well, no, I live in a condo. (laughs) Oh, can you watch my dog? It's like, no, I live in a condo. And, you know, can you train my dog? Board and train. No, I live in a condo. So then, you know, just kind of, you know, saving up, you know, my nickels and dimes from, you know, working in the business, I finally, you know, when the market, you know, went down, I was able to, you know, finally buy a little house with a nice little yard, and then that's when, that's how Doolittle's Ranch came about. Mm -hmm. And then because of that, then I was able to, you know, save more dogs and then put more volunteers together because without volunteers, you can't do it. You can, but it's the wrong way, you know, to do rescue. Because then what happens is then all the dogs are in your house, and you have no help. Your house smells. And, you know, just like at adoptions, Mm. um, you know, you have to have, you know, people helping you, watching the dogs while you go to the bathroom, you know, or interviewing the person, you know, that's interested in in your dog. You can't just do it, you know, with one person. You have to have a good team. And if you're not a good leader, you know, and you're, you know, mean to people and nasty to people, they're not going to want to help you. And I've just been very, very lucky and fortunate that I've seen many, you know, groups come and go, and I'm still around.
1: (laughs) Wow. What's the most challenging part of this?
0: Um, It's finding fosters. It's finding reliable people, um, you know, that will, you know, foster a dog until the end meaning you know, until it finds its forever home. And then the second hardest part is funding. You know, my dream would be, you know, to be able to, Uh, transport dogs to other states that have less chihuahuas or have, you know, less small dogs. Um, You know, and then the other thing is to have, because California um, now, we have no pet stores, meaning you can't um, uh, have, you know, dogs that come from puppy mills. So a backyard breeder can't even sell a dog, you know, in a pet store here. So now what we have here are called pet humane stores where basically it's a rescue who has their own rescue dogs. But, of course, that all takes money. You know, no one's going to rent you a store for free. You know, how are you going to, you know, feed those dogs? How are you going to, you know, uh, you know pay your employees? So X amount of these people are paid employees and X amount, you know, are volunteers. So that's my dream. My dream would be because in this way, instead of being on the small scale of 10 to 20 dogs, um, you know, in my, uh, you know, volunteer base uh, or my foster base, I could have, you know, maybe 40 dogs, you know, 40 chihuahuas, you know, in my store. And that's my dream. Those are my two goals. So that then, you know, instead of 2,000 dogs, it could be maybe 5,000 dogs.
1: Laura, do you have a certain criteria as to who... Can adopt these dogs or foster these dogs?
0: Yes, but in both ways, we have a foster application and we also have uh, an adoption application. So we don't just, you know, first come, first serve. We get to know the dog's personality, and if we know, you know, this dog has separation anxiety, we know somebody that works, you know, eight hours or six hours, that's not going to work, you know, for this particular dog. Mm -hmm. This particular dog needs somebody. That's home, you know, maybe a lot or has, you know, a flexible schedule that maybe there's two people in the house. Um, So, uh, we really, you know, have a high screening process and that's why we always take our dogs back, but that's why we always have, we also have a lower return rate, you know, versus the shelter, you don't know what you're getting. Mm -hmm. So, if it doesn't work out, the shelters always take their dogs back as well, but, there's no screening process, you know, for for those particular, you know, animals, dogs, cats, whatever. And so if it doesn't work out after a couple of days, the dog, you know, or cat, you know, gets returned to the shelter. We have our screening process, so we know, we say, you know, are you committed to this dog for, you know, 15, 16, 20 years? Because they're chihuahuas and they're small dogs and they can live, you know, I had one dog that lived for 20 years. Really? I had another one that lived for 16 years. So you know it has to be a lifetime commitment, you know, to these dogs. And of course, we all know, you know, things happen. And we always say, you know, do you have a family member that's willing, you know, to take that dog? But no matter what age, I mean, if a dog gets returned at fifteen, you know, we will take that dog. But knock on wood, you know, that you know hasn't happened.
1: How did? And I'm, I'm I think this show is fascinating, and I cannot wait until Saturday night, literally, to watch the show. How did this all happen? How did National Geographic approach you, or how, did they, how was the connection made? And it deserves to be on there, and I'm so thrilled that it is on there. But how did that happen?
0: Um, basically, there was a casting call uh, on the Internet that was looking for somebody that was chihuahua crazy or that loved chihuahuas. And all my friends you know, who know me very well saw the casting notice. And they're like, Laura, you have to submit yourself. You have to this is you. And of course there were no, you know, storyline of what exactly they were looking for. And then they narrowed it down to a few people and then they came and they met me and I told them, I said, you know, I'm like, you know, jack of all trades, master of none. I, you know, have a rescue. I'm a dog trainer, you know, I have, you know, the facilities, you know, to house, you know, many more dogs. And when they saw my passion And it was their passion, too, was to save chihuahuas. They didn't know how, you know, whether it was off the street, whether it was off off the, you know, at the shelter, but they knew that I was the expert. And then they just put a sizzle reel together, and then they shopped it to the different networks. And, you know, knock on wood, thank God, um, you know, Nat Geo picked it up, and uh, we have our premiere, you know, this coming Saturday, Second Chance Chihuahuas.
1: And I guess... Having come from a background of film and television, you were accustomed to the cameras. But was it was it strange? Well, this is
0: totally different, though, because you know I'm used to like you know going. I'm not used to doing interviews. You know, as a stunt person, they don't care about me. They care about the actor. You know, that's up there on the screen, and they're like, "Oh, great, you had a stunt double. Okay, on to you know, on to the next question." Um, so this is definitely you know different for me. Yes, I you know, enjoying them, you know, seeing me catching a dog or, you know, going to the shelter and, you know, following their story. But like mo- most reality shows, they want to know, how was your feeling? How do you feel about, you know, this dog? What's going to mm-hmm. happen to this dog? What, you know, so that's the part that I was not, you know, being used to. It's like, okay, you know, this dog, Marshy, you know, he lost his leg. We're hoping, you know, that his leg gets saved. But we don't know until we take him, you know, to our vet. And then, you know, that's the process, is then, you know, he goes to the vet, They find the information, they take x-rays, whatever, whatever, and then they then ask questions again. You know, how do I feel? Am I worried about the dog? So that's where it was different for me. You know, I'm used to, you know, doing a little bit of dialogue sometimes, but it's like a scripted dialogue. This is all natural and real.
1: Wow. And what was it like to switch over to it? Do, do you like it better? do you have a prep i mean i know the cause is more but the the fact of being on the scripted versus the the reality portion of it how do you feel about that
0: well this is more kind of my element in a sense of i know you know what i'm doing but on occasion you know sometimes it gets a little scripty and say you know say this do you, you know <laughs> so that's the part you know i'm not you know quite you know used to um But, um, I don't know. So, you know, at the beginning I was, you know, a little bit more nervous and I sometimes say, I'd rather jump off that building right now (laughs) than have to do this dialogue.
1: I can't believe this is coming to an end. We have one minute left. I could talk to you for hours and hours and hours. And before we hang we hang up, I just want to say one thing. You said before that you were the jack of all trades, master of none. And I absolutely disagree with that. I think you were the master of all. I think you were amazing. Yeah. I think you tackle challenges with such grace. And I think this show is an amazing show showing exactly what you've done and the kindness in your heart and the graciousness. And I think... I'm so happy that this show is out there to sh- to display what it is that you're doing for these dogs and just in general to get the message out there. And I'm so appreciative for you coming on tonight. I'm so appreciative for my co-hosts tonight, Lisa Sima, and Elizabeth. Um, this was an amazing night, and I, I I can't thank you enough for coming on. And I hope you come on again. And all listeners out there, That's encourage my you pleasure. Saturday night. Now you've heard from Laura. You've got to watch this show. There's no question about it. And DVR if you're not home. Saturday night, nine o'clock Eastern Standard Time, on Nat Geo Wild Second Chance Chihuahuas, and, and, um, and
0: tweet and tweet it and let, let Nat Geo Wild know how much you love the show.
1: Yes, yes. everybody so, should tweet. Oh, it. I already love the show because <laughs> I love you.
0: Do you, uh, you have a hashtag? you have a hashtag? Oh, is there a
1: hashtag that they should? T- so yeah, it- it's
0: just uh, I think it's Second Chance Chihuahuas. Oh,
1: perfect. So you've heard it here. Oh, hashtag uh, uh,
0: Second and Nat, of course, Nat Geo Wild. That's the hashtag. Those are the
1: two hashtags. And we wish you the best of luck, but I don't think it's even luck. I think it's just what you do is amazing, and you're doing it, and we're forever grateful. And it was an absolute honor to speak with you tonight. Thank you.
0: Thank you. And Thank you for having me. Thank you. hope to talk to you ladies again.
1: You absolutely. You're welcome here anytime. I have so many more questions. <laughs> and to all my listeners, uh, we'll see you next week, Thursday at 7 p.m. See you then. Good night you
0: served honorably Bye. in our nation's armed forces and you're looking for a way to continue serving your fellow veterans in your community, then join AMVETS.
2: Hi, I'm Janice Ian. Do you remember how excited you were at the start of summer every year and how the summer just started to drag on after a few months and you couldn't wait to get back to school, see your old friends, make new friends, get new books and a new locker and a clean slate? Well, you should have been excited about music class, too, because that was a special room where you went to sing, perform with your friends, and learn all kinds of interesting stuff about great composers, instruments, different kinds of music and songs. We remember our music teachers because they were so passionate about helping us learn to love music. They helped to spark a love for listening to notes and voices and rhythms that continues to enrich our lives even today. I bet your kids feel the same way about music class. Ask them and make sure they get involved with music in school and in their lives. A PSA brought to you by MENC, the National Association for Music Education, and the National Anthem Project, the campaign to restore America's voice through music education. Music, part of a sound education. Voted number one jazz cabaret club by New York Magazine, the Metropolitan Room is one of the most critically acclaimed venues in New York City and is known as the home for big name talents and rising stars. Known as a celebrity hangout, the Metropolitan Room is a high-end cabaret and jazz club and brings the best in live music to New York City every night of the week fabulous award-winning Broadway, TV, film, and radio performers take the stage in an intimate 115-seat elegant venue. Aside from the great, highly professional artistic shows and audience, Metropolitan Room provides an exceptional appetizer and dessert menu as well as exotic and specialty drinks prepared by top New York City bartenders. The Metropolitan Room is located at 34 West 22nd Street, conveniently located near public transportation for information or reservations call area code 212-206-0440 once again the area code is 212-206-0440 or go to their website at www.metropolitanroom.com You are listening to the title track off the new City Boys All-Stars album, When You Needed Me. The City Boys All-Stars will be performing at the Cutting Room on 44 East 32nd Street in New York City, 10 p.m. hit. For ticket information, call 212-691-1900.